Hello, hello, hello. Live from Denver, we are doing Critical Q&A, the show where I get to answer your questions. And let's make sure that we are all good. Yep, excellent. Let's looks like we have good video and sound and all. So, hey, everybody. Uh, yes, I am, I am always enjoying doing live Q&A as well. I am really trying to do these once every four or five weeks. Uh, you know, once a month that roughly is what I'm trying to sort of approximate in my schedule for these. And it's been uh, working out pretty good. Um, and uh, yeah, softcore, I saw some of these, uh, some of these comments. Let's throw the uh, comments up on the screen there. Uh, they only start appearing uh, once the show goes live, but I see the pre-show comments and uh, you people talking about softcore meth. I thought that was kind of hilarious. Hey, Germany. Wow. And Boston. And Copenhagen. Wow. Excellent. This is uh, really nice to see and hear from all of you here. Um, okay. Now, Christina is asking, uh, dying to know if Leah's podcast is coming back, but you already answered that. That's right. I did. Just want to make sure you got that answer. Yeah, it is definitely coming back. Uh, when, how, all of that, I have no knowledge. I am not involved with the production of that show, but, uh, but I did get that much. Um, yeah, it is a little cool. We're having monsoon season apparently, or monsoon weekend or something here in Denver or in Colorado, I should say, and we're not, I'm, I'm, we're not having a monsoon here. It's been uh, just a little cool after days, weeks of excruciatingly hot weather, it has been in the uh, low hundreds even a couple days here in Denver, and it's been, boy, in a house without uh, air conditioning, uh, that is a rough go. So, uh, yeah, we've been using, constructively using uh, window openings and fans and ceiling fans and curtains uh, to our advantage on all of that. Okay, uh, excellent. Still, still warm in the UK. Hey, Sweden. Hey, London. Wow. Uh, I did want to say we had a good time today. Uh, the ICSA, the International Cultic Studies Association, is putting on a virtual conference this weekend, and I got to participate in that and do a presentation uh, with uh, Stephen Kent, Dr. Stephen Kent, and Dr. Phil Lord. Um, the Stephen Kent is an academic up in uh, Canada. Phil Lord is a legal scholar, professor, also up in Canada, and they asked me to join them to do a presentation for for ICSA this year on the Rehabilitation Project Force, that wonderful prison camp that the Sea Org puts on for its members and which I partook in. So uh, we got to talk about that today and then did a little Q&A afterwards, and that was kind of nice, a little fun to do that, and connecting up with other people in the sort of ex-cult, cult recovery, cult exit counseling world. Uh, That is uh, sort of ICSA, and uh, and it was a fun conference to be part of. So anyway, I was really happy to be to be part of that. And also this morning, I got to um, be part of a little talk with my professor and other people talking about research methods. And we got to talk a little bit about the research that I did for my master's thesis. Um, I think my professor was quite happy with it. And I got to learn and see a couple other grad students this year who were also on the same program I did. 
and hear about their research methods and what they were doing uh, addressing their former cult or some cultic group or, or coercive activity. So anyway, fun and games today that I've been I've been kind of on camera all day in a way. And so here I that's why this got pushed up to two o'clock, which is later than usual for this for this particular show. So uh, all right. Uh, now, yes, I'm, I'm sure it is quite hot down there in Texas, Red Pill. I am quite sure of that. Um, oh, yes. Okay, Kara's asking about when does the anonymous insider come back on the show? Well, it just so happens we have already recorded our next podcast, and that'll probably, that's scheduled to go up this next weekend. I had a choice to make, and I decided to put up my talk with John P. Capitalist. We did a nice two-hour long discussion about the future demise of Scientology and our sort of thoughts and semi-faux predictions or ideas based on grounded reality and, uh, and John's uh, amazing Wall Street analysis and business acumen and all that. I uh, totally took advantage of him and his uh, to pick his brain about the future of Scientology based on all these things we've been hearing about from the insider and from Catherine and and re- reading on Tony's blog and and various other places. You know, it's been a little exciting lately with uh, with some some not so great news for Scientology and. So anyway, he and I got together again, the Insider did, and so we've got a show coming up next weekend, so uh, you guys can watch for that. And uh, let's see here, going looking at back at the comments. Oh, okay, traveling to Loveland, all right. Um, well, okay, Red Pill, good question. He asks here, what percentage of Scientology staff and Sea Org members are burned out and turned off by the COVID response handed down by, the, by David Miscavige? The numbers that we're hearing is a third. And this is, uh, this is a couple different sources I have. That seems like an awful lot of people. Uh, you know, if Scientology is 30,000 members strong these days, 10,000 of them are like, yeah, not interested in going into the orgs anymore. But John P. and I did discuss the, the fact that those minds could change over time. Recovery actions could be done just like I used to go out and do, knocking on people's doors and getting them to come back in. Those kind of actions could be taken. But the problem is that the orgs have reduced down and, are, and have been closed and are not even offering much in the way of services right now from what we're hearing. So as long as that kind of practice is still in place, recovery efforts are going to be falling on deaf ears. And we could be, and the longer people are out, the longer, the better chance that they'll stay out. So that's kind of what we want. It's kind of a confluence of really fortunate things coming together right now with all these bad decisions in, in Scientology. So... You know that's that's what I'm hearing right now, and that's the best answer I can I can give you at this at this time. And hopefully, as more data comes in and we hear more, we'll we'll be able to fine tune this or find out are we right, are we wrong, what's happening? You know, but so far it's been absolutely fascinating. Um. Okay. Da, 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 da. Yes. Yes. They have been very interesting episodes. Um. 
Yeah, exactly. And remember also, by the way, on that business with the RPF, uh, as Hayhun comments there, the RPF has been completely abolished as an activity, but let us never forget, and this is a point I made earlier today during our presentation, that all the tools that are utilized in the RPF program are still very much in use in Scientology, the auditing, the sec checking, the truth rundown, even the hard physical labor, although not as such an organized activity, all of those tools, all of the crazy ethics and justice stuff they do, it's all still part and parcel of Scientology right now. And while it might have been canceled, something just as bad or worse can come along tomorrow and there's really nothing stopping that from happening so i don't mean to be all doom and gloom it's a great thing that they stopped doing the rpf but i just want to point out that it's not like they're turning over a kinder gentler cheek or something that's not that's not what's going on in that world uh okay cool 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 yeah, Shimoto, you should, uh, if you want to talk about cult experiences or stuff, you should email me. Let me know what your background is. Maybe we should do a, maybe we should do a talk. Um, okay, Nobody Home here asks, do you think Elrond created the Scientology axioms himself or borrowed from somewhere? If he did borrow from whom? Okay, well, I will point out there is a, there's a book, I don't have it here within reach, called The Book of the Law. Uh, by Aleister Crowley, and it starts with some interesting axioms. There, Hubbard was not an original thinker, and almost everything the guy did was, you know, plagiarized, borrowed, copied, you know, looked at, inspired by other sources. Almost everything in Scientology has earlier beginnings and earlier previous practices. Uh, a lot from 19th century mysticism and occultism and Aleister Crowley's brand of occult magic and the sort of blood sex magic rituals he would he would get up to and all in an effort to try to uh, empower a person and empower their ability to influence their life influence their events live forever these kind of these kind of you know big concepts so Hubbard was borrowing from lots and lots of sources with those things and as far as the axioms go they're really not very original thoughts um, and Hubbard writing them down in a flurry. I think that started with the Dianetic axioms actually in 1950. I think it was late 1951 that they started writing those down and came up with a couple hundred of them eventually. It was a little bit ridiculous. And then um, the Scientology axioms were a product later on built on the concept of the the Dianetic axioms, but they kind of were more spiritual in nature. So, um, you know, that's what I can say about that, at least right off. Okay, yeah, it's helpful if you're putting questions in for me, by the way, to, to put an at Chris Shelton MSC in your questions so it highlights for me. That'll help me to find the questions versus the comments that you guys are writing. And I don't say that to discourage comments. I, I'm glad you guys are interacting. Um, Okay, yes, exactly. Da, 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 da. Okay, what do we got here? Garor. 
Oh, interesting question, Gurror. He asks here, because David Miscavige is still extremely overzealous about COVID and cleanliness, do you think there's an actual possibility he has gone Howard Hughes behind the scenes? Certainly, we have to allow for that, but I don't think that's what's happening. Um, I think Miscavige is more of an opportunist, and I think that he pushes things that he thinks are going to enrich himself or empower the organization in some fashion that will, you know, obviously lead to his own empowerment. So, um, so I was looking at it, you know, more from the from the angle of you know the money the church got through the PPP loans or the um, potential promotion and prestige that Scientology would have as the trendsetters and leaders of uh, the anti-COVID, you know, cleanliness movement that I think Miscavige was kind of trying to get going with. Oh, well, we're gonna we're gonna be the guys completely in charge of this because we're gonna own this whole cleaning space you know i mean they went and made videos for crying out loud about what the church is doing to clean their buildings i mean what do you you know that's that is pretty nuts but i don't think it's inspired by howard hughesian kind of uh insanity setting in with miscavige but you know i say that and Tomorrow it could come out that he's been, you know, sniffing Decon 7 fumes from the get-go, right? And he's just kind of crazy. So who knows? I, You know, you, you have to allow for kind of everything here. But it's not, it, it wasn't my first thought. And I don't think that, um, I, I just don't see any other evidence of it than, than that. So I guess that's why I'm hesitant to go, oh yeah, absolutely, he's, he's losing his mind. There are, there are other p- possible viable explanations for the behavior, I guess is what I'm trying to say. All right, so, but thank you very much for that question. Oh, good. I'm seeing my name highlighted here some more, which is great. Um, okay. Yeah, Jonathan Perry. So has RPF really been abolished or did they just change it to something else? I'm sure there's still sex checks. That's my point, Jonathan. There's absolutely still sex checks and hard labor and ethics and all the rest of it. That's all still there. It's just not in a formalized program that they're sending Sea Org members to. Apparently, this is the real deal. They really have canceled it. And, uh, and that, is, that is, in the end, really good news. It, it actually is. All right. Um, so, Jane. Okay, Jane Staden. Uh, when Larry Anderson left, Tommy Davis said they have two... They'd have to reshoot the orientation film. Did that happen? Do they still show the original or none? No one seems to know. Perhaps Catherine. I, as far as I know, they are not, just not showing it anymore. I, I think I, there might be a new... I, th- I, re- I seem to recall that there was a new version made, but I don't think anybody really likes it. And they took out that whole, you know, jumping off the cliff, it would be stupid, but you could do it thing. You know, they, I think they took that part out. That's what I seem to remember Catherine asking me, and I'll, I'll ask her. I'll, I'll, I'll get verification of that. Um, okay. Okay, Alistair Crowley. Uh, yes, wonderful man, Alistair. Okay. Anthony Spurgeon asks, Hey, Chris, do you think David Miscavige had any sense of grief whatsoever when he heard his dad died? Oh, tough question. Um, I, no, I don't think so. No, 
I, I'm going to say no. And the reason I'm going to say no is because of the earlier reporting from Tony Ortega based on the private investigators who were stalking uh, Ron Miscavige Sr., following him around at David, David Miscavige's behest. If the story is to be believed, then when it appeared that Ron Miscavige Sr. was having a, a, a heart problem or some kind of physical issue, um, you know, they called and like, should we intervene? Should we do something? Should we step in? Because we're following this guy around. He, it looks like he's, he's having a problem. And the answer was no, let him die, right? Now, just, just let him go. Uh, don't worry about it. And so, so based solely on that reporting, I would, I'm, I'm thinking right now, you know, that David Miscavige was not somebody who was going to be massively upset that his own father had passed. He considered his father an enemy of him, of his church. He, he went on Nightline, spoke out. I mean, Ron Miscavige Sr. went as far as you can go, as far as betraying David Miscavige and betraying the, the Church of Scientology. Um, and so, as far as I can tell, uh, with the mindset of, uh, you know, kind of predatory authoritarian types like David Miscavige, loyalty is, it's all about the loyalty. This is where, this is where it connects very easily to how the mafia operates, is the, the mindset of that loyalty factor is very, it, it's the, it is the thing. Um, that it's the glue that joins it all together, is that these are the people you can trust these are who you are in it to win it with, and they're never going to leave. And you rely on them; they rely on you, and the whole, you know. And then you're the leader, so of course, you know, you're going to need these guys to take care of things that you know you don't want to go do. So you need their loyalty. It's all about that. It's it's almost the currency of a cult is is loyalty. So when you become, when you prove your disloyalty as blatantly and openly as Ron Miscavige Sr. did, you know, then all humanity is, is gone out of that relationship as far as David Miscavige is concerned, and you are nothing but a horrible, awful enemy. So that's, that's, my, that's my thinking on that one. Uh, I don't know, right or wrong, that's, that's kind of where I'm going with that. Uh, good question. All right. Oh, Red Pill asks, what would you be thinking of the Scientology COVID response if you were still in the continental management position that you had held prior to your departure from the organization? I would be fit to be tied. I would be very upset. Uh, I would have been upset for the last couple of years. I would have just been, what the hell is going on? There, I mean, when I talk here and now about how aghast I can be, about how shocked I can be at how much Scientology has seemingly changed over the just the 10 years I've been out, part of that comes from, you know, would, would very much still have, have, have been part of me even, you know, all the way back then is this, this feeling of the, this almost betrayal of, you know, there's all this Hubbard dogma there's all this hubbard rules and policy and this is how the thing is supposed to look and as awful as that is of course things change they evolve and under a person like miscavige they devolve right it starts it starts dispersing falling apart and and deconstructing itself and as i've said from the very beginning destruction is in its dna it is built to destroy itself really uh, it, it, it's, it just cannot sustain its, itself based on the rules and the, and the procedures and everything that it has. Um, but, you know, the structure that existed under Hubbard made a lot more sense 
at least to my way of thinking, then what's going on now? Now it's so loosey-goosey. It's, it's, it's such a, you know, kind of blobby sort of thing. The, the, I, I'm, I'm talking to hear about the, the structure, the system, the, the hierarchy of, of management and, and the orgs and how it's all supposed to go together and what the responsibilities of each level are. There was a certain rhyme and reason to that system. It wasn't a perfect system by any means, but it was a system you could sort of imagine could work. And if it wasn't for all that bypass that was always going on that I that I talked about in that organizational video years ago. So 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 watching that structure fall apart before our eyes over the last ten years has been quite something for me, right? I've been like, wow. And I know that even if I were if I were still in, that same response would still be happening. Is is I guess what I'm saying, right? Is I'd still be like, "What is going on here?" It feels like I'm in the twilight zone. We can't order this. We can't do that. These orgs can't deliver any services. What are we doing here? This is insanity. I would be absolutely chewing the rug I, 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 I this is crazy you know i i just don't know how i would how i would possibly be able to rationalize the 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 these these the decisions made over the last couple of years that we're hearing about are bat shit crazy stupid they are just outrageously stupid and they undermine the, the 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 thing I'm so excited about with it, as I've said before, is that it, that these things are undermining the very foundation on which Scientology actually works uh, as a con. I mean, I mean, I don't mean that the auditing works. I mean, how does the con work? What's the structure that it's built on? Uh, you got to do certain certain things, and you got to keep doing them repetitively. Or, or, the, or it just doesn't, it, it starts falling apart. And, and that appears to be the case right now. But, but we can't, you know, make any predictions or, or talk too clearly about when it's all going to fall apart because who knows? These things have legs, you know, but it's just, it's just so fascinating to watch. So anyway, good question, um, Red Pill. I hope that that was a, a good answer for you. I, and I feel, again, feel free to, to write more in the comments if you want more on that. Um, <laughs> okay, Xion asks here, the person who I figure was a reg and said she was going to make me her whole track project to get me back in stopped writing me. Do you think she might have been involved in the chase wave? Okay, um, so what... Exxon is asking there is given the fact that all of the Sea Org salespeople and a whole bunch of other finance related people who had money related jobs in the Sea Org and in Scientology, they all got removed from their jobs and got shifted around and transferred to other jobs as a result of the fallout from the chase wave from the credit card fraud Scientology has been engaged in for a, a while and up until 2019 when it all came crashing down. So he's asking, or, or Exxon, I don't know if it's he or she, is asking, um, they were being written to by a, a, a salesperson, a reg in, in, uh, in Scientology, and now they're not writing to him anymore. So he's asking if this is a potential fallout from the chase wave. Of, of course it is, absolutely. Uh, all, the, all the regs got busted in one way or another and shuffled around. But also, let's never forget how disorganized and kind of silly their whole letter writing 
thing is it's like you know they're still using file folders and kind of this whole antiquated system of contact management and it's and it's pretty bad so there's there could be other reasons than the person's not longer on the job as to why you're not getting written to by them but that's what i would guess uh, is that they're gone um Okay, Ray Franklin, I'm a big fan of your program. Could you speak briefly on the types of people who are drawn to Scientology? Sure. People are drawn to Scientology who happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And wrong time being a place where they are at some kind of an emotional crossroads or trauma or significant change or factor in their life that is bringing about uncertainty, doubt, fear, um, you know, job change, uh, city change, move. A recent loss of a loved one uh, or a significant person in their life, some other emotional turmoil or, or upset. These kind of things get people anxious and worried and they're, and they're you know, they're, they, they are concerned and, and what do I do? And if it goes on too long, it becomes this chronic anxiety and this kind of thing. And people want help for that. And if they are in such a place and they happen upon a church of Scientology and a smiling bright staff member who welcomes them in and they do a personality test or a family or friend of theirs happens to, you know, be talking to them about this grief or upset and they're connected with Scientology. They might bring them into a church of Scientology, right? Except when I was in, 75% of all new Scientologists came from family and friends. So a lot of referral system going on there. But, um, but however it happens, if that person is in that kind of state, is when they are vulnerable to, um, you know, love bombing and appeals to their emotions and appeals to authority and, and the kind of logical fallacies that Scientology plays on when it is doing its recruitment, its initial sales job. And it's all about helping you and being a person who you can talk to and, and establishing trust and and that kind of thing. It's all about that at the beginning more than it's about your money. And it's only gradually that these things change out and it becomes more and more and more about your money. But at the get-go, it's all about your emotional needs and it's all about fulfilling or trying to give you a path or a road where you think by walking this path, your emotional needs are going to be fulfilled, your problems are going to be solved and, and everything's going to work out for you. And that's the type of person that Scientology would appeal to. That's also the type of person any cult would appeal to. It's that kind of a situation that that sort of makes us vulnerable to cult recruitment. It's not 100%. You know, people get involved in cults who have perfectly fine lives and are not in the middle of emotional turmoil. I am talking about the majority, though. I'm talking about statistically speaking, that generally is what leads a person into that kind of a situation. Okay, um, ah, another question, Michael Jackson, what do you believe the two potential candidates to take over for David will do differently? Uh, okay, so here you're referring to this concept of this thing I said, I think, um, during the podcast this week, I said I know of a couple people who could potentially step up to take over if David Miscavige were to be uh, somehow relieved of his command, whether through uh, hook or crook or whatever. Those are only two ideas I have. Uh, it could be anybody. It could be nobody. You know, who knows what's going to happen? But 
the differences could be significant. Um, you know, not everybody in the, in, involved in uh, running the organizations of Scientology are all a bunch of psychopaths. There's a lot of very well-intentioned people there who are just trying to make do and, and do the best they can in their circumstances. And this includes in the Sea Org. And there are a couple people who have had an awful lot of responsibility and an awful lot of work on their shoulders for quite a few years now running the nuts and bolts day and you know night operation of, of the church and having to comply with Miscavige's orders coming down to them and then having to get them executed there you know whether miscavige takes apart or dismantles international management in order for these organizations to continue operating and for the money to keep flowing right the spice must flow right in order for this to happen there has to be some kind of framework in place and so miscavige has got to have some people there doing some things to keep this show on the road and um, and I believe that those would be the people who would you know who would be bumped up or who would step up and basically keep doing what they're doing, or take on the significantly larger mantle of all the things Miscavige has on you know under his supervision. And who knows what all of those things are? He's so he's got everything so siloed off. You know he might be the only person who knows all the different pies that, that that his fingers are in right but i'm pretty sure that um that if somebody were from a from a middle upper middle management you know position were to have to step up that they would figure out how i mean this is my guess this is my this is just totally my guesswork but i figure somehow they're going to have to figure out how to get in touch with the lawyers right with the tax attorneys with the accountants because uh, Scientology surely has, you know, some external consultancy professionals who are overseeing their investments or their taxes or, you know, some of David Miscavige's business interests or something. I mean, who knows what's going on up there at those rarefied levels of, of Scientology. But somebody would have to find out. And it would obviously be in the best interests of the tax attorneys and the, and the consultants and all these people to inform whoever takes over, hey, this is our relationship. This is what I was doing for David Miscavige. Now I'm gonna. Now I can do it for you, right? I mean, obviously that those relationships are valuable to those people. There's a lot of money involved, so they would want to continue. That would be my guess. So I think that somebody could potentially step up and realistically. Uh, take over enough of the operations or figure out how to delegate and and run things not just as a one-man show the way Miscavige has been doing uh, and figure it out and put some kind of structure in place. A lot of things could happen there. And, and some of those could be productive, constructive things. Some of those could be restorative. They could put in management back together. They could try to actually do what it says. And it's not going to work, <laughs> You know, I mean, it, it wouldn't. It would be a little bit, maybe, of a Scientology Renaissance for a little while. But you know, the whole foundation on which this whole thing rests is is complete and utter pseudoscientific trash and nonsense, right? So it doesn't. It just doesn't really have long term legs, as I see it. But uh, but whatever. You know, that's, that's those are some thoughts I'm having as I as I thought about that. So um, there you go, Michael. All right. Uh, let's see here. Um, 
All right, Jay Davis, where's that? Uh, ah, do you think Scientology has to remain closed for COVID in order to receive government financial relief benefits? I, at this point, I don't think so. I, I think those PPP loans and all that stuff was sort of first-year financial assistance that some Scientology churches took, took advantage of. Um, I was really, quite honestly, I'm quite surprised more did not. I, I'm, I'm really surprised that, that the Church of Scientology did not milk more money out of those PPP loans and other government assistance programs. So I don't know that that's why they're staying closed. I'm, but, it, uh, you know, best guess. Okay. Um, Heihan asks, did you see the Scientology films L. Ron Hubbard directed in California in the late 70s? I know they've been withdrawn as they're embarrassing. I enjoy bad movies and it would love to see them. Yeah, I wish. Oh, I so, so, so wish that those films could somehow leak out of the Church of Scientology or somehow get into the public domain. Oh, my God. You guys would absolutely lose your minds. They are awesomely craptastic. I mean, they are horribly bad. The costumes, the design, the film, it's it's just... It is film school 101. It's, it's so bad. Uh, and these are the, I'm talking about the original technical films of Scientology. L. Ron Hubbard had an idea in the late 70s that he would go off into the desert of California. This is how Gold Base started out in San Jacinto. Is they set up some, uh, some properties out there and he went out there with his messengers and with a bunch of Sea Org staff, and they set up a film studio, and they bought cameras and lights and everything, and they and Hubbard scripted technical training films for Scientologists. These would be films that would show what auditing is supposed to look like, what the TRs are supposed to look like, what an e-meter is, what the needle is doing. There was a film that shows all the different needle reactions. There's like a bunch of them. I, I, think, the, I think the whole list is like 32 of them or something. It's, it, there's all these different things that that stupid little needle can do. Hubbard made a film to show that. And he made a bunch of these films. And they were shot with Sea Org members as actors and as the film crew. So everybody was kind of learning as they were going. David Miscavige, one of his original jobs in the Sea Org, was a cameraman working right under L. Ron Hubbard in those film shoots. Uh, so, you know, there that's how he came up. So anyway, these films were quite bad. <laughs> Uh, yeah, anyway, that's kind of, you know, I wish I could show them to you. I wish I even could find some stills from them or something, but just so very little of, of certain things in Scientology have ever leaked out. You guys see the books, you hear the, some of the quotes from the lectures, um, you see a couple little snippets from films, uh, you know, on the internet here and there, but, um, boy, but you really just are missing out not seeing those films. That's all I can say about that. Uh, I did see all of them, and they were, oh boy, were they bad. Okay, uh, let's see here. All right. 
Okay, yes. Uh, JB Chicago asks, has anyone tried to infiltrate the Church of Scientology to subvert it, for example, by flipping whales? Okay, now that's interesting. I've never heard of anybody suggesting to go inside Scientology to infiltrate it so as to make social contact with the rich Scientologists who are keeping the thing afloat and uh, subvert them or flip them. Uh, that would be such a long-term operation. I don't know that it would really be worth anybody's time or attention. There are some very, very serious rich Scientologists in uh, American, Venezuelan, um, Taiwanese, I think, Australian. I mean, there are some very, very moneyed people in in Scientology. And... Um, and going in there and infiltrating that and, and turning them would be quite interesting. Not, nothing I've ever heard of before. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, uh, don't know how to describe that one. Uh, people have definitely, I have addressed the question of what it would take if the FBI or an undercover legal operation wanted to infiltrate Scientology, what that would take. Uh, on an earlier Q and A, I answered that in some detail, and it would, if you really wanted, excuse me, if you really wanted to do it right, it would take a tremendous amount of time and, and resources and, and and stuff. And I don't, again, I don't know anybody's really that super interested. I think a raid, I think a direct raid like they did in 1977 would uncover more, more quickly if they had search warrants for digital uh, access and stuff like that, and they hit the right places at the right time in the right way. Um, and I'm being purposefully mysterious about that, but I'm just saying if they did, then um, then they could uncover a treasure trove of information out of Scientology and all kinds of things could be made public that right now are uh, only talked about, right? Like the whole truth rundown. You know, I'd love to show you guys the actual L. Ron Hubbard writing on the, on the truth rundown, but I can't. It's nowhere around, right? It only exists in Scientology. So... Um, anyway, so that would be quite interesting if that could be done. Okay, uh, let's see here. Okay, Xcyan asks, have you heard Frank Zappa's album, Joe's Garage, where he talks about L. Ron Hoover and the First Church of Appliance-Atology? No, I've, I don't listen to Frank Zappa, so I've never, never heard that. Um, okay. Okay, Gururur asks, how, why hasn't David Miscavige come up with some BS like he has communicated with LRH from Target 2? He could really squirrel the tech then, couldn't he? Or is that at odds with Scientology beliefs? Um, it's just not necessary. Uh, and it would also strain credulity, yeah, on the part of an awful lot of Scientologists. There's a very weird thing, and I think it was Aaron and I who talked about this, or I think it was another X and I. We, we were doing an interview, and we were talking about, about this exact thing. Maybe it was Sonny Pereira, where it's fascinating how the Scientology belief system is all about a spiritual existence and past lives and aliens and alien civilizations and space opera and, and implant stations on Mars and on trains on Venus and all this hooky sci-fi crap. And yet, if somebody walks into a church of Scientology and says they are in spiritual contact with L. Ron Hubbard or with their mother or their father who have passed on, but they're in spiritual contact with them, 
almost one for one in my experience in Scientology, we would look at them like they were nuts. Oh, really? You're in touch with your mom, huh? Like somehow it just, it, it, despite this entire belief system that these things are possible and real, somehow we had it fixed in our head that those kinds of experiences or supernatural connections would, could only be made if you were a Scientologist. And it could really only be strong and real and believable if you were an OT Scientologist. It, was, it wasn't even spoken out loud. I'm telling you this, and I'm thinking about it right now. Like, we never even had to, to talk about it amongst one another. It was just this sort of knowledge that we all shared. And it wasn't even based on anything Hubbard wrote. I don't know how to make sense of that. As I sit here right now, I am kind of like, wow, that's actually true. It was an unwritten rule. That if you weren't an OT talking about this kind of thing, then you really weren't worth much. But even with that, and coming back around to your question now, what if David Miscavige from the stage said, I have been in touch with L. Ron Hubbard? I mean, a lot of Scientologists would just be like, really? Okay, I, I, I guess, you know. They, they would really stretch. That would really stretch it. So I don't, I don't know even what word to use to describe that, but that's the best I got for you on that one is I just don't think he'd be able to pull it off. But let me also emphasize he doesn't have to, to squirrel the tech. He has already made massive changes to L. Ron Hubbard's technology, and everybody has given him a pass from, the, from day one on that, and, uh, and he just keeps getting away with it, so... No biggie there. All right. Um, moving on here. Yes, the RPF is gone. Um, let's see. Red pill. How do you think the lives of the average Sea Org members changed due to the COVID response by Scientology and the local orgs closed or are remaining closed? How do I think the average life of a Sea Org member changed? I think that it got more bubble world. We were told that in PAC, remember, in, the, in, in Big Blue, that the Sea Org members were in such an information bubble that they thought originally that COVID was causing mass, d- devastatingly large numbers of deaths and that it was, you know, literal certain death to step off the base property. I mean, there was a, the anxiety must be out the roof with those guys, as witnessed by Catherine, just like getting the hell out of there, right? And and by the way, there have been other blows. There are people blowing all the time out of Scientology and, um, and or people contemplating blowing Scientology right now in numbers that are quite interesting. So, uh, so I think that it's ramped up the anxiety level and I don't wish that on anybody. I'm, I'm sorry that that's happening, but I, but I I believe that's the case. And, um, with limited, you know, amounts of time off and, and difficulties with the, with the conspiracy stuff versus the vaccines. I appreciate the cognitive explosions that must be going on in Sea Org members' heads over the conspiracy theories that they were recruited with and understand to be real, and then the mandates to get vaccinated and comply with all the COVID stuff, it must be driving them nuts. 
uh, to be living in that world of, of two polar opposite realities that you have to can somehow reconcile at the same time, more so than all the rest of the nonsense that goes on in the Sea Org. So, you know, who, who knows what it, but it, I, I don't imagine that life in the Sea Org is very fun right now. Uh, I, 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 I left cause it was the opposite of fun, uh, 10 years to further down the road now that we're, uh, where we're at must be God awful. Um, okay. Moving right along. These are great questions. You guys are really, uh, really bringing them on today. This is great. Okay. Um, oh, girl, uh, what would Tom Cruise do if one of his children came out as gay? Would he handle it with Scientology, or could we expect to see him at the next Clearwater Pride? Um, well, let's keep in mind that his kids are Scientologists, too. So the tragic answer to your question is they'd probably never allow themselves to come out as gay. Because if they're in the Scientology mindset, then that is simply not acceptable. It is a sign of psychosis even. And even if they sort of take those lines out of the books, and I'm, and I'm, I'm heard that, this is, that these things are, are being removed, but we're talking about fundamental changes to Dianetics, uh, the second book of Dianetics, which is Science of Survival, the chart of human evaluation would have to be changed. Um, there, there, were, there would be significant changes that would have to happen in Scientology for them to, to, to remove all the anti-homosexual, anti-LGBT references. Um, they could do it. Culture is also a slow death, so you know that also that whole thing has to die within the culture of Scientology. If that all were to occur, and that I think that the timing on that would be like 10, 15 years down the road. In other words, I think it would take about another 10 years before LGBT would really be acceptable in Scientology if they deleted all the references to it now. And I don't know that that's what they're doing. That's just one remark from Catherine that she said they're changing uh, the books. They took that out of one of the books. I didn't see that. I'll have to verify that for myself. I'm not sure that that's true. But I... Um, I know that even if they do, it's still going to take all this time for the culture to change. The only reason I'm, 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 so, I'm making this point so hard is because Tom Cruise's kids are Scientologists. And so they're very much steeped in the mindset that anything LGBTQ is just simply psychotic and, and evil. And it must be eradicated. It's just reactive mind crap that you have to address with auditing and get rid of. And uh, you audit the gay away, so to speak. So that's kind of how they're, how his kids are going to deal with that. Now, let's say that all of that somehow doesn't apply. And one of them were to just like loud and proud one day just go, you know what? Screw all the Scientology crap. I'm gay. And that's how it is. Tom Cruise would very likely disown that, that child. That's probably what would happen just like that. Um, there might be a public statement of support but it wouldn't be real and it wouldn't be heartfelt and it wouldn't be sincere and it wouldn't last uh, behind the scenes Tom Cruise would treat that kid just like he treats his daughter Suri meaning he doesn't treat him at all he's just not around uh, that's Tom Cruise so that's my my take on that you asked that's that's my take on it I think that's I think that's what would happen
Okay. Um, Kara asks, what do you think the response to COVID would have been had Hubbard still been in charge? What an interesting question. Um, Nothing like what happened. I'll tell you that. Hubbard would never, ever, 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 ever have closed the orgs. Uh, they would have been remained. They would have remained open, doors open, even if there had been mandates to close. You know, all the businesses or whatever. Scientology would have, um, if Hubbard were around now, and let's assume certain things happened after he died. The volunteer minister program came into play, but that was a Hubbard brainchild. He came up with that idea back in the seventies, so he would be in support of the volunteer minister program, and he would absolutely have ordered that those volunteer ministers get out there, you know, maybe not go to the hospitals because those were closed off quarantined areas, but very definitely get out there and get Scientology known and used to help people in these trying times, right? And he would have been pushing assist technology and and anything, you know, cleaning may have been part of it for sure because Hubbard was a bit of a clean freak himself and he could have very easily gone down the Decon 7 route in terms of over-cleaning and overcompensating for that. Hubbard absolutely could have glommed onto that, that solution too. Um, that wasn't just something that Miscavige could have gotten obsessive about. Hubbard could have as well. But he would not have closed the orgs, and he would not have allowed any of that other nonsense with, with that attendant with that. Hubbard was all about getting books sold and getting services delivered. And, um, and the entire thrust of where Scientology has gone now is so much not that that Hubbard would be working full-time to get it back to his vision of what Scientology should be. And, uh, and the COVID response would reflect that. It would be very interactive and very much trying to work with people and help people and, and figure out what could be done to, um, you know, he'd probably have been behind the whole mask thing and stuff, but I don't think he would have gone mask and gloves. I don't think he would have gone, you know, nutso with that. Although Hubbard was just as open to pseudoscientific nonsense as anybody, as, as, as anybody else. So he could have gone he could have gone hog wild on that stuff, but I I just don't see Hubbard's response being the same. And I know for a, there's just no question in my mind that the whole that the, Miscavige is very anti-person. David Miscavige, if given a choice, will turn to automation. He will turn to visuals. He will turn to something that doesn't involve people. And Hubbard was the polar opposite of that. Hubbard was get in there, roll up your sleeves, and get busy and get to work and get to it. And you guys, or the, you girls, you guys, you're the ones who are going to make this happen. You get out there, you spearhead this movement, you make it happen with your hands, you know, you roll up your sleeves and get to work, right? That was Hubbard's kind of approach to growing Scientology, and Miscavige is very much not that. So, um, so I think that's what would inform his decision making when it would come to a COVID response, if that if that helps at all in terms of where where he would be coming from. Okay, um, so uh, oh, sorry about that movie, gal. Uh, yeah, Scientology is nothing if not divisive. Okay. We are coming up on uh, 10 minutes left in the show here. So let's uh, see what else we can get done. Um, 
Yeah, Shimoda, how does Scientology react or respond to pride in Clearwater given their rampant homophobia? Not well. They, they're not down with it, right? However, let's remember now that Scientology is trying so hard to position themselves as being uh, pro-LGBT uh, that they would definitely put some rainbow flags up and do the whole corporate flag-waving drill as we see all the other corporations do. I, I, I really... I really hate that crap, just so we're clear. I can't stand corporate fakery and, and jumping on the bandwagon uh, stuff that, that corporations do when it comes to these social issues. I think it's pretty gross. Uh, but Scientology's right up there with them on this stuff. Um, Anthony Spurgeon would like me to talk about the extent of the Presley's involvement in Scientology. Any of them still in? Was Elvis himself ever in? No, Elvis never got into Scientology. He recognized that they were after his money right away. I think that was his statement about it. Oh, those Scientologists, they're just after my money. And he was right. Um, Priscilla Presley, his wife, uh, did get involved and was involved with Scientology for decades. Um, And so did her daughter, uh, Lisa Marie who is now out. She's written songs. She's definitely, I I don't think either of them are still in Scientology. You can find detailed reporting on this on Tony Ortega's blog. So I always kind of point over in that direction for, for certain things, this being one of them, because I'm not well steeped in the Elvis Priscilla Presley Scientology history. Everything I just told you is pretty much what I know. And that's pretty much all I know. Um, yeah, but Tony Ortega is definitely reported on this in detail. So if you Google Tony Ortega, Priscilla Presley, you'll get all the stories on, uh, or Lisa Marie, you'll get all the stories on on the Elvis family involvement with Scientology there. Okay, um, let's see here. Uh, moving right along. Okay, that's interesting. Still having trouble accepting the RPF is gone. I know. I know. It took me about a year and a half to accept it myself. I first heard the RPF was canceled years ago. And it's been, it's taken five different people confirming it before I actually believed it was true. It wasn't just Catherine coming on my show, and it wasn't just Insider. It was it. This has been years in the making to convince me that there is no more RPF in Scientology, but apparently there isn't, and and that's a really good thing. As as again, I will I will say. All right. Um, yeah, yeah, they're definitely homophobic, but like I said, they they put on a good show these days. Scientology does. It's really only when you get deeply in that that really starts becoming apparent and it becomes a block for you in moving forward on Scientology. Uh, At the level of going clear is where it's really going to become an issue. And you're not going to be allowed to go on to the OT levels if you are LGBTQ. Just period. You're just not. Uh, How Travolta got away with it, I don't know. But he's a celebrity, and they always break the rules for celebrities. Uh, Catherine Bell as well. But, um, but yeah, they're just, not, they're just not down with it. Okay, let's see here. Moving right along. Huh, ex-Cyan. Um, there was a pretty woman, Jeannie Sonnenfeld, who high-pressured me to sign a Sea Org contract at Big Blue one fine night at 2 a.m. I think she was the ED at LA Org 1992. Know her? 
we talked about her, I believe. Catherine uh, talked about her. She went to, she was busted, and she is no longer in the Sea Org or in the Scientology staff. Uh, Jeanine Sonnenfeld was sent out to uh, Cincinnati years and years and years ago, took over that org, ran it, um, and was busted for financial crimes and irregularities. And as far as I know, that's the that's the word that we heard. And uh, and is not a uh, I I don't know that she's I, I I'm pretty sure she's still a Scientologist, but she is not um, a staff or Sea Org member anymore. Okay, that's what I can say about that. All right. Um, what's this? Surrey isn't Tom Cruise's biological son. Surrey is a girl. Suri is definitely Tom Cruise's biological daughter. I'm not sure what's going on there with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's not... See, the thing about the whole LGBT thing with Scientology is it's not culturally acceptable anymore to be anti-LGBT. Used to be, right? Hubbard openly, blatantly uh, was. And cultural. that was the cultural norm. Right now, it's not okay, and suddenly it's awkward, and that's why they are silent on the subject. All right, moving right along here, just kind of cruising, looking for my name <laughs> for questions. Um, yeah, I did definitely saw Diana Hubbard's album in the Sea Org. Yeah, it was bad. Um, oh, the drip. Email me at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. Try sending me an email at that email address. Uh, that should not bounce on you, and we can talk about um, uh, shows. Okay. Um, first was Golden Age Tech, Golden Age of Admin. Shouldn't be able to get either of those in without a Golden Age of Ethics, right? Yeah, I think there was some kind of Golden Age of Ethics thing that was sort of touted internally or something i remember something about ethics and golden ages and stuff but yeah miscavige does love his golden ages doesn't he okay uh red pill scientologists don't believe in people communicating spiritually with lrh and or the dead family members because that means people would have ot powers without being ot that's that is correct um I have not read, uh, Gurror, I have not read the Andrew Morton bio unauthorized biography of Tom Cruise, so I can't say that I agree or disagree with it. Haven't seen it. All right. And moving to a wrap-up here. Coming on down the line. Rainbow capitalism. Thank you, Shimoda, for that phrase. I will see if I can remember that. Yeah, good stuff. Okay. Um, yeah, exactly. It's just buy our stuff, gaze. Exactly. Can't stand that stuff. You know, this is another reason why I am loving. I wanted to. Um, I wanted to tell you guys I am loving the boys. Uh, all current on that show. There is just so many wonderful uh, satire of just everything. It, even even Scientology in there they really do hit up uh everything it's a it's a great show for that um okay and what else did i want to leave you guys with um 
<laughs> I'm going to leave you guys with a dad joke and then I'm going to I'm going to end the show here. So, I was thinking about uh starting a band. I was going to start I was thinking about starting a music band and I was going to call it Blanket. It's a cover band. All right. And on that happy note, I am uh, wrapping up the stream. Thank you very much for coming around and watching. Do please like and subscribe. And if you are liking my channel and my show, I want to point out to you all, this is entirely fan funded. You guys are the ones helping me keep these lights on and keep the show going for real. So please do consider supporting the show through PayPal, Venmo, Patreon, whatever. Um, Show me some love. A little bit goes a long way. Thanks, guys. And with that, we are done.